Hi everyone, thank you so much for joining us. This is episode two of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai, I'm Auto Trader's editor-in-chief. And I'm Dan Alika, I am Auto Trader's road test editor. So it's still Earth Month, so we're gonna be talking a lot about EVs again in this episode because it's very important and there's so much to go over, but we also have a very special guest joining us today. He's basically like the coolest, most rock star person in our industry and we're so excited well guys we are here with a very special guest Ralph Gill he is the chief design officer for Stellantis the former Chrysler Corp Fiat Chrysler he's been around the industry for a while and uh He's designed some some pretty important cars, including the Chrysler 300. He's been Dodge in charge Viper. of the Viper, the SRT brand. Some of the most iconic vehicles of our generation, I would say. And he's Canadian. I mean, not saying, but you know, I'm saying it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. cool. So Ralph, welcome to Own the Road with Auto Trader. Thanks so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. So this is great. Well, we just wanted to kick things off. You know, I mean, it is Earth Month, as you know, April. Um, it's obviously a you know a, a big deal, especially with EVs. You guys just unveiled the the newest version of the Airflow concept, and I, I really wanted to kind of pick your brain about what you think the future looks like um, for EV designs with the kind of freedoms that you have without having to to worry about an internal combustion powertrain. Wow, there's a lot there. First of all, yes, the, the move is on. Let's say we are working on right now. I'm working on eleven different uh, new projects at the same time, and and three quarters of them are EVs. Wow. Full full bevs. I'm not talking hybrids. I mean, we're talking a complete bev, and they're on our new platform. So everything you're talking about. So it's been a long time since we've had a, a, a let's say a significantly new architecture to play with, um, and a lot of these. There's a few that are still what we call multi-energy, where they may have to have a small uh, gas engine still. But the vast majority are, are full bevs, which, to your point, doesn't need cooling. We have to design frunks now. But the one challenge, the industry standard is quickly becoming, let's say, a flat pack battery underneath um, underneath passengers between the wheels. It's the best place, safest place, great for center of gravity. Uh, most, if you haven't driven an EV, they, they, they have a freakishly good handling dynamics because yes. they almost have a keel effect, right? So you have all that weight down at the bottom. But they are heavier. Uh, which governs the tires, believe it or not. So when you look at that, we, we tend to want to get the, the wheels kind of as large as we can to the point where they compensate for the extra height. So most EVs, if you've noticed, they they, are, they sit a little higher because the battery packs are about 100 millimeters tall. So that's where it all starts. After that, it's arrow, 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 arrow. So <laughs> because I've, there's some calculation, every little bit of, of drag is like, my engineers come to me, he's like, Ralph, you're costing me 20 kilometers. I'm like, I am? <laughs> Sorry, you know. <laughs> so we talk about we trade kilometers and details. It's getting to that point now where we're really looking for efficiency. So. And you know, as far as I, I mean, obviously we don't you know want to highlight competitor brands and whatever. But I was in the BMW iX last week, and yeah. one thing I noticed right away was that the dashboard, all of it sat below the cowl which I'm yeah. pretty sure is the first vehicle I've driven that it's been that noticeable. So you know. Does are you kind of excited about what that means? The prospects of design in that regard. It's funny you mention that because I remember driving my brother's uh, Civic back in the day, a Civic Si he had, and they had they all had the dash super low, right? Because the engines were small and tilted backwards. Uh, we may be coming back to that um, again as the passengers get a little higher in the car, but the nose can go down. Uh, there's again, you're not clearing a, a big uh, engine anymore. 
so yeah, I think it's exciting to get that panoramic view of the interior change. You know, and I'm guilty. You know, we raised the Beltline right to the limit on the 300, and and you know, uh, I think the TT had that. You know. <laughs> Uh, as well, so the, so that's something that you know we probably went a little too far with that. You know, belt lines have been getting higher and higher. Where I see full adults driving cars and they're peering out of them like children. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I love that though, and I still think like the Dodge Magnum is one of the most gangster cars out there. It's like a secret dream car of mine because I like sitting real low. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, speaking of those cars, like you were the boss of Hellcat and SRT, which are kind of like the anti-Earth Month vehicles. But how do you see that performance evolving when we're talking about EVs? Uh, well, that's actually a very topical question. Well, in fact, yesterday we just had a big meeting with our, our CEO and the Dodge brand, and I was in, in that meeting. And we're actually, uh, we're basically debating exactly, not debating, but announcing, you know, telling them where we're headed. And it's well underway already. It's not, not a secret. Uh, watch this space, as they say, because Dodge has a lot of news this year, uh, and they're confronting this exact thing. It's like they are about Hellcats and, and you know, ver ferocious power now, and translating that into a future space. It's going to be exciting. I can't divulge too much. Of course. Um, but Dodge is going to do it their way, right? And we're excited because we do have a we have a formula. In our job, I think, as designers and and brands, we have to be tastemakers in a way, and we have to kind of. Um, bring our fans along with us, right? They, you know, they are curious. I mean, some of these Hellcats are getting their their butts slapped by plaids and stuff, you know? So <laughs> they're like, hey, what do you do for me, you know? Uh, so let's just put it, we're on the case. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be our own thing, our own look, our own uh, our own way of doing it. But it's going to, it is the future and it's a far, far more sustainable solution. So, you know, we, we're talking about vehicles, you know, high power vehicles. Um, you're fairly infamous for owning at one point or maybe still owning a Viper, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, in, in that kind of vein, like wh what, what would you say, you know, your, your kind of all time favorite car that both you've owned and just generally speaking would be? Wow. That's, um, the, the Viper has a sweet spot in my heart, of course, because uh, it's so outrageous, but also because it's the one that kind of drew me to the company I work for now, back when I saw it as a concept car. Uh, but I have an eclectic taste, you know, so I have a, I recently got a Peugeot 205. Uh, that, that The reason I like that car is that I did an internship in France when I was 18 years old, and my boss had one, brand new one, and he took me through the French windy roads, and I was like, my eyes were like saucers, like, I can't believe a car can do that. And it's been in my system ever since. So I finally got one, restored it, and it's it is as good. It's like a meet your heroes moment. And it, it's as good as I remember. That's awesome. Um, what did you and in between, uh, yeah. And I love uh, vintage Alpha. So I have a '69, '68 Alphas. I've I've had Hellcats and, and Red Eyes and stuff. Um, the Viper I'll never sell because it took uh, it took an, a pound of flesh to get the Gen Five approved. So. I look at that and I kiss it every couple of days. Yeah, that's that's cool, man. That's got to feel pretty neat as you know somebody that's both a fan of of the brand and the vehicle, and also somebody who who had so much skin in the game to to really carry it forward. Yeah, literally skin in the game. <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears. I'm sure. So then, Funny. but what what was your first car that that you owned? Oh my God, can we talk about that? So yeah. this is so this is Canada, right? So I live in Montreal, Quebec where they seem to salt the roads for the fun of it. Um, <laughs> you won't remember this car. It's called the Austin Marina. Have you ever heard of it? I have heard of it, yeah. Tell yeah, it's a, it. it's a British car. It looks like a, a Russian-ish taxi cab. It's really gross. Uh, I don't know what my uncle, I was riding in the back of my uncle's yard and I was desperate for some wheels. And I go, hey, if I can get it running, can I have it? And he said, okay, you know. So I spent the summer tinkering and I got it running. 
Uh, it would barely start unless it was like over 20 degrees. But anyway, um, <laughs> but it did do burnouts backwards. It was rear drive. So <laughs> if I put in reverse and stomped on it, it would do the best little mini burnouts. Um, yeah, but it really taught me about mechanics. Uh, and I, I learned what a thermostat was. I spent the winter with no heat in the car. I had to drive around with a scraper to take the frost off the inside. It, it was a $2 thermostat I had to change. So I learned the hard way to understand about mechanics. But anyway, after that, I had a more interesting car. The Scirocco was my first favorite car. I nice. That. I had an 81 Scirocco S that was not as bad, but I needed some love and I restored it. As soon as I got my first job, I, I restored that car. Yeah. I, I really love seeing your journey, like all that passion <laughs> that you had as a kid, like you can totally see it in, in all the work you're doing today. Mm -hmm. Like it's very obvious that like that guy loves what he does. <laughs> yeah. And I'm surrounded by, like, I don't know if I've hired, now I'm hiring people, of course, but even before I, I was a boss, let's say, it's almost like I compare it to the X-Men mansion. You know, if you look at the, the super, not that we're superheroes, but. You are. <laughs> no, no, no. We end up in this place and we all are weird and different, but creative and, and, we, and we all get along together because we're that way. Uh, and that's what it feels like in our studios. We have so many creators. And now we're getting people from the infotainment world, from the movie industry, from we're getting coders that are, are mixing it up with car designers now. And it's the coolest thing. It's 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 hard to believe it's allowed, but it's cool. <laughs> Is that kind of what you see as, you know, the, the future, not just in terms of design and stuff, but, you know, that that the car, like the automobile is becoming more of a piece of technology as opposed to just a piece of transportation? You're right on, and that's exactly what's happening. It's already happening. Um, we're hiring totally different types of people now. Like I, I grew the infotainment piece of our, our office like threefold in the last few years, um, and we're actually even if you look at the Stellantis um, analyst calls, we call ourselves as a tech company now. So we're a tech automobile company, right? Because there is so much tech. I mean, a modern day car is is literally incredibly complex, but we're realizing that the competitive ground is not horsepower anymore. It's it's how much tech you can jam in the car. So. Well, you know. <laughs> and and you know speaking of uh of Stellantis and and you know I know obviously there's that that big announcement recently about the LG uh battery plant in Windsor um yep. and already in Windsor we've got the Pacifica including the Pacifica hybrid I've got one booked in a little bit I got to say from a styling perspective I personally think the Pacifica might be one of the most underrated vehicles of the mm. last maybe 20 years. Mm. Oh, it's just so you. clever. Yeah, it's like it's stylish. And you know what I, I always really liked personally? I thought the design of the Chrysler 200 was really cool. And I really liked the way that, you know, th the family ties were so strong, yet they were very much like they stood on their own. Yeah. Yeah, we're done. they were done together kind of around the same time. Yeah. And the Pacifica has its following. I mean, it still does not very well in, the, in that segment, which is it's shrunken, but it's stable. It's like 500,000 units a year. And we fight it out with Honda and Toyota, but, but totally. we hold our own. I once saw this this sketch you did like on a napkin of a Hellcat Pacifica, and I oh think the whole internet just went wild over that. <laughs> Funny you mention that. Have you heard of Van Culture? Yes. Yeah. So someone is trying to do it for real. They've bought all the parts. They got a van. They got a Hellcat, a supercharged no less, which is going to be interesting. It's gonna be uh, and they're trying to do it, so it's going to be interesting. That is so cool, and I, I just love to see how that will evolve with the EV world. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so what's something that you wish more people knew about EVs? Because it is relatively new to some people and there is some like hesitancy. So if you were I, to tell people like, you should know this, what, what would that be? 
and keep in mind, I've been driving a lot of EVs, so we've bought a lot of competitive EVs. Uh, and by the way, Hi you know, Hyundai's awesome, the EV6, the new uh, Kia Ionic. So there's some really, is it Kia? I think I'm mixing up. But yeah, anyway. Hyundai Ionic, but still. Yeah, there's uh, there's some really cool products starting to happen. And, and what I would say is the choices are coming. So let's say fast forward about a year or two from now, there's going to be a plethora, literally, of EVs uh, from ourselves, from other competitors. Um, and the range is probably what people are scared of the most, right? So today... I mean, I'm going to do my math in kilometers here. So a good EV will get like 200 miles, which is about 300 kilometers. Uh, in the future, that number will be double. And we find that people have range anxiety, but when you really ask them how far they drive, they most of them don't even drive one-third as far as they think they do a day, you know? So I think that's the thing is don't be so worried about the range, let's say, because, uh, you know, once in a while, yes, you have to go see grandma across the country, and that's when maybe you rent a car or something like that. So... There'll be solutions, and that's one of the things we're looking at as a kind of, as a company. We own leases in Europe, or we we loan people cars with with your. Once you buy a car, you almost basically have a subscription, and when you do need to go see grandma or the in-laws, you can borrow something that maybe that's a hybrid or something. Uh, so it's not. I think the adoption will be um, managed by the companies. We're going to help you make it easy for you to own an EV, but it is fun. They are great fun to drive. Um, they're super uh, intuitive to drive. So it's going to be an interesting time as we transition. That's a brilliant solution. Yeah, totally. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, I dig that. And, you know, I mean, obviously, like, culturally, North America-wide, you know, trucks, that's always the big one, right? It's like, well, yeah. you know, and we're starting to see that. And I know, you know, Ram yeah. has announced, like, the, yep. that there's an electric Ram coming. Um, but... I look at it very much like an, a great opportunity because as we see recently, you know, with, with the Hummer EV, like there's so much more room for a battery pack. So that range, yeah, they're big and heavy, but but it also means you can go way further than, than you could in, in a smaller EV. Yeah, and that's what we're looking at too as a company is like today you see adapted trucks, tomorrow you're going to see designed for trucks, which means they're going to be able to, to repackage and make it more efficient. Um, and hey, let's be honest, most people don't realize, but locomotives are EVs in a way, right? So you know, they're being powered by electricity, so they're very powerful, very torquey. Uh, they're so powerful, we actually have to limit it. We have to govern it down, down so it's not, you know, darting people off the planet, you know? <laughs> that's so funny. I think that's a lot, that's something that a lot of people still don't know about EVs is that they can't, they just can't picture um, an EV being a Hellcat, you know? And yeah. there's that weird disconnect, but it's going to happen and it's going to be so exciting, you know? Yeah. And I hate bashing on my competitors, but when you look at the Bolt, compared to like the Hummer and, and, and other stuff that they're doing now, it's like a lot of people don't want the Bolt. No, no offense, but it's not what they're asking for. So we're trying to make EVs delicious, not not dorky. You know, yeah, because, that's exactly yeah. it. And I think by making them like sexy and desirable and cool, um, yeah. I think it'll a lot more people will be interested in getting into them, especially if you're designing them because they'll look so badass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jody and I were having this conversation recently and I said to her like, for me, I think there was that phase where it was like, I understand, you know, obviously coefficient of drag was a big part of the designs, but, you know, it's like, hey, they're electric. Let's make them quirky. Even hybrids like the Prius, it was like, let's make it look a little different and weird. And that didn't really like it. It put, you know, alternative powered vehicles on the map, but it wasn't really that desirable. So now that they're becoming more like normal looking, so to speak, and mm -hmm. and you guys on on the OEM side can focus more on on that tech integration to make them stand out. I think that's like the the linchpin. That's what's going to make them more desirable to more people. Exactly. And then there's the packaging. You know, when you when you look at the flat floor and all that stuff, we're, we're able to really pack a lot of 
of use, let's say. Like you were talking about the minivan, same type of thing, right? Where it's going to, a vehicle that looks a certain size on the outside will be shockingly roomy on the inside. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Ralph, we really, really appreciate you coming on and, and joining us today. It was very fun to, to chat with you. It's always great to kind of get some insights from someone that's been, you know, in the industry. And like I said earlier, so passionate about it. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. It, it, I would say it's it's changing, you know, in, in the years I've been in 30 years. So it's like, whoa, I'm old. <laughs> but, you don't but look it. I'm, ha- I'm having more fun now than ever because of all of the challenges, but all of the, of the opportunity. And and I love watching the, the, the complexion of the industry change and the type of people attracted to the industry. It's really an interesting time. And, you know, a lot of people wrote off muscle cars back in the 70s and look at us now. And EVs will be the same way. They're looking at it with trepidation, but years from now it's going to be like wow this is so much fun you know so and the infrastructure will catch up i think the private sector will take care of a lot of that stuff so thank you and and great questions today and and yay canada (laughs) Canada. thank you so much thanks all we look forward to seeing what you got coming down the pipeline man so excited got it all the best take care dan that was the coolest so cool thing ever ralph is so cool. I, mean, I respect him so much. Yeah, it's it's cool like cuz he's so knowledgeable, but it's like, you know, he's one of those guys like he's very thoughtful, you know, but it but it just seems to kind of come so naturally and and he he knows his stuff, he cares and and it comes across so clearly to but me. But he's also so approachable, yeah. you know? Like I've spoken to car designers before and they're very like abstract and like artsy. I'll tell you, I've never seen Ralph in a scarf at an auto show. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. That's like an inside joke with uh, in our industry that all you you can spot the car designer by seeing who's wearing a scarf in the yeah. win, in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> but you know um, he's just he's a great guy, and it was so great. And I'm I'm just really excited to see. I mean, obviously talking to Ralph about what Stellantis has in the pipeline in terms of electrification, but just in general, you know, it's it's I I think I said it in my BMW iX review, like don't fear the electric future. You yeah. Know? And and I think from a from a, you know, excitement perspective, Ralph kind of brings that, like, because he can give you some insights about, you know, what what design is going to look like, what they're focusing on. But just generally, you know, he talked about range and range anxiety. It's like, it's getting better. Yeah. And, and it's only going to get better from here. And even now, it's not that big of a deal. Like, no. we'll go through this a little bit more. Actually, let's go through it now. Let's so, do it. like, Something to know about Dan and I is that like a few short years ago, maybe like one or two years ago, we were both very new to EVs, totally, yeah. you know, and at first I had the exact same hangups about it that I think most of you do yeah. thinking, oh, I'm going to get stuck. Like what happens if I run out of range? Like I'm really scared. And then eventually, like the more time I spent with EVs, I realized how like misguided I was. Yeah. Um, and just as an example, so like I, I was testing a Hyundai Kona EV. Mm-hmm. I did it for two months in the dead of winter, dead of our Canadian winter. It was in the middle of a polar vortex. And it was my first kind of like long-term experience living with an EV. Um, as a condo dweller, I don't have access to uh, like home charging. So I had to rely on the public charging infrastructure. And when I first got it, I was like so scared about range. I would be driving without the heat on. I'd be like, really scared and then i realized how how silly that was because all that suffering like chattering in the cold was not worth it because there was so much range like that vehicle that ev has like 420 kilometers of range and even in 
the dead of winter, it was still giving me so much range. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's always that fear the unknown thing, right? It's like back when I tested the Hyundai Ioniq 5, which I really liked, um, you know, range wasn't great in the winter, but only compared to, to its official rating. And that's what had me stressed out. So remember I went, I had the day off and I, and I went to all those breweries and I was kind of like, just to that point where it was just a road trip to collect some beer, um, throughout some, you know, great, great spots in, in Southwestern Ontario. And I was just at that point where I was like, man, this is a little bit stressful, but it's only because even, even now, after all this experience, I do sympathize. I understand why, because I've been there and I mm -hmm. don't, just like you, I don't have access to home charging. But last week I was in that BMW iX. It officially is good for right around 510 kilometers with the wheel size that I had. Um, the lowest I ever saw the range on a full charge during my week was like 567 kilometers. I headed up to 630 kilometers of range. That's incredible. Like, that might be the most range I've seen uh, in a production EV so far. And and I had said that previously. If you guys watch, you know, some of my reviews and I talked about it, it's like, what is the is that kind of perfect number? I think you know the closer obviously we get to a thousand is is going to be really comfortable for people. But six hundred is a good number. But I mean, what what gas powered vehicle can drive a thousand kilometers? No, totally. But it's like you know, well, Ralph being a Montreal guy, right? You want to make the drive from from yeah. Toronto to Montreal, even if it's only you know a couple times a year, it would still nice. You know, it would feel nice. It would just be to me. It's not. I think range anxiety, this is obviously speculation and, and I'm not getting into, you know, like, oh, let's let's do this uh, psychological analysis. <laughs> but I think range anxiety is less to do with what you can actually do and more about the potential of what it can do. Yeah, that's totally true. And that's something I had like a hard realization when I was driving that EV for two months. I very quickly realized that, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to blast the heat because I don't want to suffer, yeah. you know. But it's like the reason why people own trucks, because once a year they take a trailer to the dump. Right. Yeah. So it's the same with an EV. It's not necessarily that you're going to cover 600 kilometers between charges. It's just that you can do that. And it feels good to know. And, you know, I mean, talking to, to you know, a colleague not that long ago, um, and she had said, and I never even really thought about it, what about emergency situations? Let's say you got to evacuate Toronto, right? There's some sort of, you know, natural disaster. And, we all, and we've all got to get out. How far can you go? Uh, with an electric vehicle. That's I mean, stressful. Yeah, but what are the possibilities of that happening, right? Well, like, I think well, a lot of people buy cars based on what they think they'll do and not what they'll actually do. And like Ralph totally, said, most totally. people daily drive under 30 to 50 kilometers. I mean, yeah, that's fair. I just, I think that, you know, Mallory's point was a really good one about, about this whole like disaster management thing. And, and it, again, it's just like that peace of mind. Right, it's the same reason why you have a medicine cabinet full of all kinds of crazy things that you're probably never going to use, and you'll find, right. you know, ten years from now when you're moving, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I remember when I bought this, you know, like malaria pill, and I've never been anywhere. And it's expired now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just one of those things. We, we as humans, like it's it's, we are we like preparedness. Yeah, for sure. But I really like what he said about range anxiety and that like once you spend more time or you understand more about EVs, that really starts to fade. That yeah. fear really starts to fade. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we all go through it. Yeah. And I think that I would, you know, back up what Ralph said by saying, if you're scared of it, just take a real honest look about how you use your car, 
how much you drive. And like he said, in those rare instances where you might need to drive across the country, you have options, you know? Totally. And I think there are going to be more options. Like he said, you know, services that are going to provide, you know, kind of like a loaner vehicle to, to cover those longer trips. And I, I think, you know, I met a guy last week when I was testing the iX. He owns a Tesla Model S. His wife owns a Tesla Model X. And he has a BMW 5 Series for those times that he needs to you know, go further. Like that's obviously yeah, big budget stuff, but even, still. Even so, like when I was, I took a Kia Soul EV on a road trip and I bumped into a person driving the exact same electric Kia Soul at a public charging station. Mm -hmm. And he drives back and forth from BC to Kingston many times a year. Jeez. And so he does it solely on electric. <laughs> solely. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again. I never even realized that. Um, but the the cross-country electric charging network is good enough that he could confidently do that trip many many times a year totally but you know what else it, it requires that i don't think many of us have especially during the pandemic patience because regardless too. 10 to 80 percent now you know in most evs on a on a dc fast charger can be covered in about half an hour yeah um but in practice, it doesn't matter that you go into the on route and there's a lineup at Burger King and you end up standing there for half an hour anyways. We're all like, oh, my, I want to fill up and get out of here as quickly as possible, you know? Yeah, that's true, too. Um, but I did kind of want to talk about that cross-country charging network. Let's do it. So Because it's deplorable. Well, <laughs> yes and no. So across the country, um, a lot of funny enough, gas station companies have been installing really fast level three EV chargers. No, not level three. That's that's a misnomer. What? It's just DC fast. It's level one, level two, and DC fast. Okay, but anyway. People call it level three. I'm just saying our job is to make car stuff simple for Canadians. It's Let's true. make sure okay. that we're you know using the right Let's naming convention. Let's demystify this. Let's demystify. DC fast charging. Petro Canada. I'm a big fan. I love those those chargers because you can use your credit card just to do a quick pay. Totally. I love that. But, you know, I don't think it's enough because right now, you and I both, we live, what, about 10 minutes from each other? Mm -hmm. And I think in the GTA, currently, the closest Petro-Canada electric charger, like the DC fast charger, closest one to both of us, is that one out in Milton. And then there's one in Scarborough. Those are the only two Petro stations in the GTA as of whatever the day is today. April. Yeah, that's true. But I'm yeah. talking about when you're going on a road trip, they're strategically placed um, across the Trans-Canada or the 401, right? I'm not. See, that's, I'm just, I'm not there yet that I, that I think, I think the plan is to have that. I don't think it's there yet. I mean, on route, the, the Ontario, for, for you non-Ontarians out there, um, the province has service stations called on route instead of en route it's on it's kind of clever um announced late last year that dc fast chargers are going to be installed at at all of these stations but it's going to take time and i also am not fully confident that those will be installed by that whole you know 2030 ev target I mean, I'd like to hope that you're wrong because we I, I need like that. I would like to hope yeah, I'm wrong. Because we need that infrastructure yeah. to get more people into EVs. Um, so right now it is a little bit of a headache. Yeah. Um, and I Except would, for Tesla. Tesla's, Tesla's got that huge got that advantage. Tesla's got that amazing network. Yeah. They make it so easy for people. Yeah. Um, and there was talk, 
I, it's just a rumor and nothing has been done yet, but there was talk about uh, Elon Musk was saying that he would, he was considering opening up the Tesla well, supercharging network to other so, EVs. So I think it started now, you know, some of you Tesla fans out there will probably know, and you can always send us an email at expert at trader, right? Autotrader. Expert at trader.ca. Um, but I think Amsterdam had like a pilot project for that where it was open to, to any and all um, EVs. It wasn't just restricted to Tesla anymore. But, you know, it's going to take time. Um, and just like everything, that's the bit. Everybody wants to build. The money's in the cars, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to build these charging stations. But I think now that realization is there of like, uh-oh. You know, we've got this coming down the pipeline. Yeah, and I think that um, car companies are beginning to realize that if they enable other people, even if they're not buying within the brand um, to, to get EVs, then it helps everyone. It's like the general cause of making EVs more accessible. Totally. And I think a lot of them were really into that, even with, you know, like patent sharing, like making their patents available and stuff Toyota like that. was really good for that, like opened up its patents to, to like its hybrid yeah. patents to, to everyone and just said, hey, you guys want to use this? Go for it. Go for it. I do also have to say, you know, we're not GTA focused people. I know that whole center of the universe thing. Um, <laughs> You know, I used to live in northern Alberta, and I'll tell you right now, the drive from Grand Prairie, where I lived, to Edmonton is like over 400 kilometers. Wow. And that was a drive that many families I knew would do, you know, back to school shopping, we're going to Edmonton for the day, right? It's crazy to do it for the day because you got like a five-hour drive on yeah. each end. But regardless, A, that's a long drive, and that would you know, exceed or nip at the maximum range of the average EV on the market. And that's like kind of ideal conditions. I'll tell you right now, Northern Alberta conditions aren't that ideal. It gets cold. And on top of that, it's it's the foothills of the Rockies. It's all hilly. It, yeah. It, it, so it's, it's range sapping. And that's also why I'm worried because it's not just about you and I being like, oh, we've got to go all the way out to Scarborough to charge. It's like, you know, if you live in a place like Northern Alberta and you want to go to Edmonton for the day, that's going to be a challenge with the current crop of electric vehicles and the current infrastructure. That is very true. And so one thing that I tell a lot of my friends who are considering EVs now, and I tell them that like, if you don't have access to home charging, it is going to be a pain in the butt. Totally. And that's just a harsh reality. Like, I yeah. wish it wasn't the case, but that's just how it is. That's what my experience tells me about driving an EV without home charging. And so if you have access to a garage where you can install a charger, you know, maybe get some uh, government incentives to help with that cost. Yeah. The the cost to um, charge an EV at home, dramatically cheaper than public charging, but also dramatically cheaper than, than gas. So just as a, totally. as a comparison, uh, one of our writers did a story on like how much it actually costs to, to charge EVs. And so basically we, we took a Kona electric yep. and a gas powered Kona because yep. we wanted an apples to apples comparison, right? Yeah. So the national average to charge um, a Kona electric at home it costs $488 a year, a year, a yeah. year based yeah. on like, you know, average driving distances and everything. I think it's, I think NRCAN, it, it's 20 or 25,000 kilometers. Yeah. And the gas version yeah. will cost over $2,000 oh, yeah. a year to, to drive on gas. So the savings are there and almost immediate. The, that's what I say to friends all the time when they ask me, because obviously people are curious, right? And it's, you know, at home, 
on a on if you get a level two in charge uh, charger installed at your house, it's going to cost you literally a few dollars if you charge overnight, and that'll get you that maximum of you know 400, 500 kilometers, whatever. Even on a on a fast charger, that one that I like to go to at the Canadian Tire, um, the Flow Chargers. Yeah, the Flow Charger. That one, I think you know, use it. Well, the rate is twenty dollars an hour to use that and it's and it's a 50 kilowatt so it's not even a super fast charger it's fast though I've but used it's it, I, I use it all the time it's yeah. like i've never been plugged in there for more than about an hour and 10 minutes to go like from like last week when i did it i went from 53 percent to 99 percent in an hour and five minutes that's not bad that's pretty good um, I use those chargers a lot and I like to pick the ones that are strategically located near like grocery stores yeah. or like a lunch spot Totally. because then you're not sitting there waiting, right? And yeah. I think that's that's something that um, EV owners will have to get used to is kind of like if you don't have access to home or office charging, you have to carve out that time yeah. in your schedule Which to charge. Which can suck. Which can be a pain sometimes, yeah. but I think, um, it, and that's why if, if you don't have access, the range offered in some current EVs is not ideal. Like, for example, I was driving the Volvo C40 Recharge last yep. week. Um, officially, it's rated to have about 360 kilometers, which for me, living in a condo without charging, was just not enough. Yeah. That, to tough. me, I would need, like, at least 500 yeah. to be comfortable um, making that switch yeah. to my lifestyle. Absolutely. Right? And, you know, I, and, I, and I do also have to say, like, in that vein you know it's like that idea it's not always ideal especially in the winter time but it's like don't call it the glove box anymore call it the book box you keep a couple books in there and you can do some reading you know it's like i said it's not great in the winter but you know you can find ways to keep yourself entertained usually like as, as long as you're not running the heater and stuff like that um you can have the you know the radio going or or whatever have apple carplay android yeah. auto listen to music listen, listen to, to this po podcast oh my could you imagine <laughs> that's what we need to encourage people to do i mean yeah i mean you we would love if you subscribe to own the road with auto trader yeah. because own we're the charger to... <laughs> you can listen to us while you charge and um, you'll feel like you know that much more about electric vehicles yeah and i think this episode will be a little bit longer so it's like the perfect length to charge yeah. your car exactly so speaking of charging, uh, I already talked about the iX, but I do want to talk about it a little bit more because for those of you who don't know, it's all electric SUV from BMW. It's about the size of say an X, you know, between an X3 and an X5, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, wow, it's so good. It is really good. That range is killer. The fact that you got about 600 kilometers to me yeah, is mind blowing. It, it was so I'll say, I'm still not sold on the styling. Um, well, I mean, not many people are. Um, it's, it's got that Bette Midler from Hocus Pocus look. Those big buck, buck teeth. Buck teeth in the front. Yeah. Um, but one thing I will say, and you you know, you and, and a friend, Brad, um, you guys both separately were like, hey, it kind of looks like a futuristic Honda Odyssey. And I'm like, what? how did you both come up with that? at the same time because it must be true so yeah. it's 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 the shape of it but totally. also there's a in that rear three quarters view that like floating fake roof floating look. roof yeah. is it reminds me a bit of a honda odyssey but that's not a bad thing no and what i'll say is that at least with the grill i would say it's a more cohesive design than other 
you know, Bucktooth BMWs, including the 4 Series and the i4 and the X7 has that, you know. But it's like I said, guys, go watch my my iX review. But I said in that review, just in case you don't want to watch it, um, <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, you know, I said it's like it's like having that argument with somebody and they just they have a terrible idea and they keep doubling down on it. And you're like, you just want to tell them, like, drop it. That's what's going on with BMW. It's like, everybody's like, man, this grill is terrible. And they're like, bet. And then they just like, make hold it. my beer. Here's a bigger one. <laughs> yeah. It's so, I mean, but overall, it, it's more cohesive. The interior is great. I love the interior. Oh. I know this is like a, a point of controversy for a lot of people, but this iX has these beautiful, like, faceted glass details inside. Um, where you, they're like buttons to adjust the seat and stuff. And, and that, like the little controller yeah. for the infotainment is made out of this like beautiful glass. And it's like a little bit cold to the touch. And when the sun hits it just right, it like explodes rainbows. I think so it's cool. very pretty. And it's stuff like that, these little fancy details that I think will help make EVs more desirable because totally. it feels special yeah. and fancy. Even like the, in that iX, you know, the, those, those glass controls as well as that wood touch responsive wood panel how like the fact that that exists and everybody who saw that vehicle was like wow that's so cool that that this is a wood panel that is touch responsive and i think again that's what i said to ralph is like okay you know the the like over the top designs didn't really do it but i think these like really crazy tech features are what is gonna because that's the to me at least right now that's the target right yeah, the people that are lining up for the next about. iPhone yeah. are the same ones who are like, let me get it. Let me get that EV. You know? Yeah, because these details are so fun to talk about, to show yeah. people. Right. Yeah. Um, and on the opposite side of the spectrum, that C40 that I was driving last week, it was very plain inside. Yes. You know, it's a yeah. it's an EV that a doesn't have a huge amount of range. Um, the inside, it, it, let's say it costed about 70,000 bucks. The one I was yeah. driving. Um, but the inside did not look very special. And then I did some more research and I realized that Volvo used a lot of um, recycled plastics in its yeah. interior, which I think is so cool because if you're committed to sustainability, um, it's not enough to make an EV. Like you got to go the whole package, right? Totally. So they use a lot of, I think they counted, it's like 71 recycled plastic bottles in their interior, which wow. is so cool. But then the issue was, that it didn't feel expensive. I yeah. love the idea, but the execution wasn't quite there. See, remember that um, that Taycan, that Porsche Taycan we compared with the Tesla Model S last year. And guys, that's a really you know great comparison uh, to to check out. It's on our YouTube channel. It's on AutoTrader.ca/editorial. Um, that had that all vegan blue interior. Right. And a most people had no idea that it was vegan. And B the build quality and the and just like that that touch and feel of it was very nice it had that kind of like you know the the fabric inserts yep. felt like wool it was really rich and then the faux leather it was like that could easily be leather and that's how they could do it right and yes. i mean porsche of yeah. course they charge so much for their cars that if they didn't do that i would be really like annoyed but <laughs> but still to me you know you want to talk like obviously it's it's a number that's going to keep going up right but the average transaction price for a vehicle in Canada, you know, crested 40 grand, I think two years ago, $70,000 is still 
quite a bit more than that that yep. I don't think it's unre- especially for the size of that C40 I don't think it's unreasonable to expect a little bit more flashiness I think so too and so I was like kind of doing a lot of inward reflection and I have this well you had all that time while you were charging exactly it. <laughs> and I was thinking a lot during my charging and I was I have this expectation and you tell me if it's unrealistic or not where i i believe that in this day and age evs need to have some sort of flash they have to feel kind of special because because like ralph said like the chevy bolt is a great ev it's got ton of range it is fantastic but it it's a little nerdy and it doesn't feel special yeah and i think if you want to get more people into it you have to give them more to get excited about yeah. other than the powertrain you know yeah I, I i agree and i understand that that's tough right like what I always say to people, like car companies, obviously automakers want brand loyalty, right? But they're also businesses. They're they're in the business of making money. They're not in the business of giving stuff away for free. So, you know, battery technology is expensive, right? Cobalt mining is expensive. All of that stuff adds up to the higher than average prices mm-hmm. for electric vehicles. Yes, those prices are coming down. No, I don't, you know, they want to keep their margins up. So I understand they don't want to give you stuff for free, but I don't think it necessarily needs to be expensive because, and this isn't an electric vehicle, but the Ford Maverick has that great gray plastic yeah. interior that I described it as it kind of looks like one of those like portable sinks at a at like an outdoor concert, <laughs> right? Which is, you know. It sounds worse than it is. It's really cool. But it was durable, durable. and it was affordable. And it, looked, and it great. looked good. Yeah. And just going back to that Volvo C40 for a second, one of the t- one of the touches I did like is that the inside is lined with this like uh, carpet material mm, yeah, that matches good. the exterior paint color. Yeah. And that is also made out of recycled plastic, but yeah. it looks really cool and it feels good and it has yeah. a practical use for like sound deadening and yeah. stuff. It's and cheap so and easy in that sense. That's what right? we got to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that C40 was it was good, but it really proved to me that like not let's say like five years ago, if you wanted an EV, you could get one that was affordable, but kind of dorky. A yeah. couple years later, you uh, more expensive EVs came out. And so there was only those two ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And so finally, right now, we're getting so many great options in that sweet middle ground yeah. where they're affordable, they look cool, they have lots of range, the lots Mustang of cool Mach features, e. the Ionic 5, EV6. There's yeah. so many interesting options now. Yeah, totally. And the fact that it's only going to get better makes me like very, very excited. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited about it. I got to say, though, going back to that iX, probably the best electric vehicle I've driven to date. Wow. And I've driven, you know, quite a few. Um, the Taycan is, is great because it's impressive. Um, you know. But like, it's also very expensive. Totally. This one is just, it was still expensive, but I couldn't help but think, wow, there's a lot of value here. Like it was 92 grand. So it was the iX Drive 50. So the second, you know, step up in the iX lineup. It starts at 92 grand before tax because... We always include the freight charge because that's not negotiable. So I think that's true. in the BMW it was right around, you know, 2500 bucks. Worked out to be about 92 grand before tax, which is already expensive on its own. Um, the one I drove had 27 grand in options, right? So okay. it was about 118 and change, I think. That's a lot of money, but it felt every bit of that asking price. And, and that's important too, but also the range that range alone to me makes it worth it because if you compare it with something like a Taycan, which I think starts at a little bit higher, you're getting like 350 on a good day. Yeah. And 
this BMW has like double that. Yeah, like five, I think with the 22 inch wheels, it was like, it's 507 kilometers. Already that's good enough for me because in the winter, you know, there's no real, we, we talked about it on the last episode about that whole demystifying EV myths. You know, yes, the, the cold weather impacts the, you know, the chemistry of the batteries. You also need your heater running, your heated seat, all of that stuff. It's gonna add up to sap some range. There's no fixed number. Anybody that tells you, oh, it's 15% across the board, that's not true. Everyone is different. Every EV is different, yeah. So in something with 500 kilometers, it's probably gonna, it could drop as low as about 350. You know, like that is in that kind yeah. of 350 to, to 400 in a deep cold winter, you could probably get with something that has a, a 500 kilometer rating in yeah. you know the rest of the year that was similar say. to my experience with that kona ev yeah. so officially it's rated for like 420 um at 100 percent in the dead of winter i was maxing out at like 375 which that's is still good. Like that's really, really good. good yeah that's what i'm saying it's like worst case scenario the worst i've ever seen it had lost about you know 30 percent of yeah. its range and i think that's realistic to expect some people yeah. report up to 50 which i don't i've really, never personally seen i haven't experienced that myself yeah. but it's possible totally um, and just to keep that in mind when you're shopping for evs that is that the range that they advertise is it'll be different for everybody it changes on tires wheel size there's so many different factors that affect range exactly like they would in a gas-powered car. Yeah, the way absolutely. you drive affects range, yeah. every, like the weather. Yeah. And it's the same thing with EVs. So just to keep that in mind um, when you see range, to kind of keep those different factors um, in the back of your head. But I got to say, I've still never been in an EV that I felt like the advertised range was like way off base. I think they're pretty accurate. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've seen ones like this IX that have done better. I've never seen one outside of wintertime that's been like, that oh, wow, worse. that that seems like it was yeah. overrated. You it's know? actually interesting because in a lot of the EVs I drove, I ended up getting more range yeah. than, than was advertised. I think that's smart, right? If you sandbag a bit as an automaker. Yeah. So they, they, they add in this little like element. It's like a lot of um, automakers give you conservative um, estimates for your range, right? Yeah. And a lot of EVs have the technology now where it will adjust its range estimates based on your driving history. Yeah. So when I picked up this Volvo C40, it was at like uh, 65% charge. And so I did the math, I'm like, oh, that's not a lot of, that's not a lot of range. Yeah. But the more I drove it and the more it was learning how I drove, my range actually increased. See, it's the same principle that I apply when you ask me when I'm gonna submit my reviews. <laughs> Is I kinda, you know, like I'll, I'll under promise and over deliver. And it, that strategy has been working for you because you're still working now. here? It's worked for years. I haven't caught on yet. <laughs> automakers are doing the same thing. You know, you say, when are you going to have that review done? I say Wednesday. I give it to you Tuesday. You're like, wow, that's awesome. Automakers go, oh, yeah, this thing's good for 400 kilometers. You get 450 and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and one other thing I really liked about that C40, so I'm going to talk about it a lot because I just drove it, is that they gave you a range estimate but then also the best case scenario and a worst case scenario. And I think knowing that worst case scenario was really helpful to kind of 
battle any remaining range anxiety yeah. that you would have yeah. because now you know if if you had to rush home and you're flooring it at every stoplight you'll still be able to make it you know yeah. and something that was weird and i had to like check i had to do some more inward reflection is that that vehicle gives you um your range in 10 kilometer increments that's weird i actually don't think it at first i thought it was really really weird and then i thought like what what is the point of giving me super accurate readings when it can fluctuate so much anyway and if you're driving an ev to the point where 10 kilometers is gonna make, make or, or break, break. you yeah, then you've got other problems i mean yeah i agree it's just i like that accuracy of being like this is because in in you know gas-powered vehicles you get that you know to the kilometer obviously it changes but because to me it could change a lot right you know it could like you could you could be on a on a road trip that you're like uh, I'm I'm going to be cutting it close, where that you know ten kilometers could could be the, yeah all I, the difference. I just saw a thing. I think it was on TikTok where a Tesla driver had like they pulled they they were getting so close and they were like ten feet away from a charger and their car just stopped. That's really bad. Too. <laughs> Which is so like yeah. Would you just push it? Well, but even still, like some EVs have trouble when, when the battery is completely depleted that you can't get that initial charge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Like there's, you know, so that's one of those things like, you know, forget myths and never let, just like you should, you know, I say to my friends all the time, they always send me photos. They think it's hilarious to be like, look, like, and their gas needle is like below empty. My mom would I'm have like, a heart attack. So would I. And that's why they send it to me. And I'm like, guys, this is like not good for your fuel pump. You know, yeah. like it's not just that you're you're taking big risks. It's like mechanically it could be trouble. Same rule applies. Don't let your EV get to like if it's I would say, you know, I, I'm not an EV owner. So obviously it's easier, you know, to to be on the other side, so to speak. But I would say, like, do your best to avoid going below like five percent. Oh my God, I would you never know. go to five. I, I start looking for chargers at like 25. No, I mean, but I'm just saying like, again, in the, you are going to have to, we're getting to that point where, and, and I know, you know, Tesla owners that do it all the time, right? Where it's like road trips are feasible, you know? Yeah, sometimes you are going to push it. Totally, I agree. I'm, you know, I'm like that wintertime, don't, don't let your, you know, fuel tank go below 50, like yeah. below half full. That's like me with charging. It's like I try to keep it above 50% as often as possible um, because I know that, you know, during my my test drives, during my video shoots, like I might put, you know, 250 yeah. kilometers on it um, in that one day. So it's like I like to keep it. That way I can get home or get to a charger and not be like, oh, no, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, but, you know, yeah, that it's, it's really like you're – you're playing a dangerous game by like really draining that battery. That's really risky to me. Like yeah. even with my phone, I get nervous if it's under 15%, totally. right? Cause also I rely, like I never know where I'm going. So oh. I like need my maps. Yeah, you're directionally <laughs> challenged. For oh, sure. it's so bad. Yeah. I never know where I'm going. Yeah. Um, like I'll get lost in this office. Oh, totally. It's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I think in general, like if, if you're scared about going EV, don't be. Yep. You, there are things you have to consider and, you know, adjustments you have to make to your lifestyle. But I think they're minor and they're like easy adjustments to make. I think that is, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last episode, but I do think that's true. Like this whole, you know, electrification thing, it's, it's coming. It's a reality. 
we're all going to have to get on board. It just means that you can't look at vehicles and look at what you're doing the same way. And to me, it's no different, like with the pandemic, right? We all had to kind of, you know, reassess our, our personal lives, vacation, you know, what it meant, like downtime, what was good for our mental health changed a lot because life changed. For sure. That's what is going on here, right? Electric vehicles are not the same as the gas powered vehicles we grew up with. That's just a reality. So you're asking for something that's just like, you're looking at it through the wrong lens. Yeah, and I think it's like, it would be smart not to compare them head to head because yeah. it's not apples to apples, no. right? Like you will have to change things, but yeah. I can I can assure you that like those adjustments are not super disruptive. Like no. it was very easy for me to adjust, even living in a condo to driving an EV for two whole months. You know, my parents live out in St. Catharines. I was making that trip back and forth. I was taking it all over the place. Yeah. Um, and that was in the dead of winter and it was totally fine. Yeah. And I, and I also think like, you know, from that like perspective, there's also the ability to challenge yourself. It's, you know, not necessarily hypermiling, but it's just like, there are challenges that you can, you, you know, game of gamification, like you talked about last week with the NX and it showed you what percentage of your drive was under, you know, uh, emissions free power. And I like that idea of being like, okay, well, you know, my consumption, like, and I do it with gas powered vehicles, but with EVs, it's just that much easier to make the experience enjoyable to be like, okay, well, I burned, you know, 20 and a half kilowatt hours per hundred kilometers yesterday. So today I'm going to try to get below 20, you know, or it's like to, to use a lot of them now have that number to show how many kilowatt hours you recovered using the regenerative brakes. Right. So it's like maximizing the number. Yeah. I know? always have mine set to the most aggressive totally. setting because I love yeah. those efficiency gains yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, regenerative braking is, is probably my favorite, um, you know, electrification technology just because it's so, you know, it's, it's like both cool and unique, but it's also, you know, it's tangible, right? You can actually feel it happening. Uh, and that's one of those things that just like, it's unique and it's still a novelty to me that I enjoy. Yeah. It takes a little bit to get used to at first. I always say keep some gravel. Because especially if you have a passenger that is not used to it, yeah. like it, it can make you feel motion sick. But even me, like if I'm picking up an EV and it's the first time I've driven it and I automatically put it to the most aggressive setting, yeah. um, sometimes they're like super aggressive yeah. to the point where I'm like, whoa, like I, it feels like you're slamming on the brakes. Totally. Um, but once you learn to kind of like modulate it and yeah. you can pretty much time it so that you never have to use the brake pedal at all. Yeah. It's like a game to me. Yeah. It's like fun. It's, it's so much fun. I enjoy it a lot. And, you know, I do think like all of this stuff, I, I we, we are, Ralph's right. I think, you know, within the next year, you know, over the course of this year and into next, we're going to see a ton I think, you know, brands that are that are like, oh, yeah, we've got, you know, 30, 30 battery electric vehicles in the pipeline. Like, that's a lot. That's a that's a whole lineup yeah. of new vehicles. And so you'd have to think that, like, they're going to have all different body styles, all different performance, all different price points. Yeah. Right. And so that's really exciting to me that the options are just going to explode in the, in the next couple of years. And in this space, I feel like things move so quickly. So, like, yeah. I was editing a story uh, written not that long, like five years ago about EVs. And, nearly, and it changed before nearly... you even got to the end of the story. <laughs> 
But nearly every vehicle that was mentioned is no longer available. Yeah. It is discontinued yeah. because those early EVs, the technology has advanced so quickly that those early EVs are just like not it anymore. No, and I think, you know, automakers knew those were sacrificial lambs, right? You have it's to... Like experimentation. Yeah, you have to start somewhere. And, you know, some of them are still like... It's fun to see them on the road now. It's even like when I was in California a couple of weeks ago, saw a couple Fiat 500Es. Oh, yeah. And those were so cool. And and I know, I have some American friends that had leased them that they were literally leasing them for like $70 a month. They were giving them away for free. And the... And the the, I think the range was like 150 yeah, miles Yeah, and it was, it's, I don't know if this is true. It's like they were saying that uh, the company was losing money on each one yeah. <laughs> that they sold or leased, but right? But it's fun to see, you know, cars like that every now and then on the road where it's just like you, you know that that was really kind of like a pioneer um, when you yeah. see them. And those early adopters and the, the fact that they're still driving them when there's so many other options out there, yeah. I think that is really cool. But you ready for a hot take? Yeah. Usually I thought you, you were going to high five me there. No, usually you have the hot takes, but yeah. I have a hot take. Talking about Fiat, yeah. I think Fiat should revive as an electric only brand that only sells adorable pastel colored EVs. Like Fiat, like E, like Fiat, yes. you know. And I, I just think that that would be so cute. And it would yeah. get so many people into EVs. Well, let's put it this way. Fiat couldn't be doing much worse than it is now. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty bleak over there. <laughs> it's, you know, in North America, it just never, it never really took off. Um, and Because we like big, big cars yeah, here, Yeah, right? I think the novelty, like... You know, same thing with Mini, right? It's like there's a, there's a certain novelty and a charm. We like to see them on the road, but not enough of us like to be the ones behind them on the road, right? Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, but I, I yeah, I don't, I don't think that's, like, I mean, it is a hot take, but it's like, you know, it's a, it's a rosy take. It's like, you know, I think, I think it's, it's viable. I think it's something that could actually happen one day. Totally, yeah. Um, I think a lot of, you know, Ford, like, is going in that direction too, right? Where it's like, there's going to be, you know, uh, like... Ford Ford has a, an electric arm to the company, right? It's being yeah. split. And I think there is room for that where it's like certain brands, just they become known like Tesla, right? It's just yeah. like you, when you see that brand, you think of electric vehicles. Yeah, exactly. But more for me, it's the standpoint of like, I know a lot of people buy cars based on style alone. I think that's just a reality. Like yeah. I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Um, so but, you, dri you drive a Volkswagen Golf because you love style? No, I drive a very plain <laughs> Volkswagen Golf because I love efficiency. So I drive it. My car is a diesel car um, and it's uh, it gets like 800 to 900 kilometers to a tank, which I love, except for the fact that diesel is so expensive right now. Yeah. So it's really hurting me. However, um, a lot of EVs today, it, cars in general, they're like, so aggressive looking and they they look like aliens or machines and yeah. i'm just like not super into that design aesthetic and so if fiat was just to come out with like cute like i want a cute car like yeah. i know that's gonna a lot of people are gonna laugh at that no, but i think, I think a lot that's... of people are kind of in the same boat as me yeah. where they just want something cute in a cute color that makes them happy again my only thing is like i think uh, there are more people that like the idea of it. It's like, you know, I yeah. said to you, it's like, why was the Subaru, Cro the second gen Subaru Crosstrek, 
you know, it, the, it was, the launch color was orange, right? And it's the, like, yeah, it's sold reasonably well. You see, you know, quite a, quite a few orange cross tracks on the road. But the idea is it stands out. It's something that people go, I like the way that looks. Now give me a silver one. Right? Yeah, because and it gets people's attention, but I think most people we know only buy like white or silver or black. And cars. I think the same thing applies to like the Fiats or you know, remember when the Chevy Spark and the Chevy Sonic, all those cool colors, and it was awesome. And you see them, and it's fun, and it's like you want to you know go up and like high five that person, yeah. And like you know, thank you for putting this on the road. But yeah. It's, there are less people in in that position than people in like our position that it's like that's really cool now like i'm getting into my golf and i'm leaving and it's white you know? yeah like it's so boring but i'm in this and hey this isn't a knock on jody i too drive a diesel golf mine's a wagon and it's silver <laughs> i know so. and and that's the other thing is that like we both bought our cars used yeah and so, you know, there's just not a lot of options out there. And then, you yeah. know, you, you take into account resale value and like all this stuff. But we should tackle car colors in another episode. Yeah, because you have to. some pretty interesting insights on that. Yeah. So we'll get back to that at a later episode. Totally. Um, but it's time for Ask an Expert. Ooh, Dan. fun. I'm going to pass you my laptop. We got oh, a question. Am I, I'm asking you're, you? No, you're going to read the question oh, and okay. answer the question. Okay, hello. Long time listener, first time caller. Which is funny because we've only had one episode but or I two like episodes. It. Um, who actually uses paddle shifters? Ah, that's good. And why do automakers still include them in some vehicles? That is a very good question and one that I see a lot. Um, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I use paddle shifters in every vehicle that I drive that has them. And I'll tell you why. I used to, when, when I worked at Subaru, I had an Outback that had paddle shifters, even with a CVT. And a lot of people, you know, think that that's, that's some sort of like blasphemy. Well, A, Subaru's continuously variable transmission has those like stepped, you know, simulated gears. The cool thing is engine braking. It is one of those things when you're on the highway where traffic is slowing down, not to a complete dead stop. It's just that it's slowing down and you don't necessarily need to or want to use your brakes because you're gonna cause that chain reaction behind you, use the paddle shifters, you get engine braking, the vehicle will slow down, not drastically enough that the person behind you needs to brake. So you're actually you know, doing the common good by not, because you know, you apply your brakes every, the next yeah. 50 cars because behind you. Because the lights you. go off, then people will panic. So if you use the paddle shifters instead to downshift an engine brake, you're doing everyone a favor. That's actually really interesting. I never thought about it that way. So I never use paddle shifters ever. Um, be, and it's from, from my perspective, like automatic transmissions do all the work for you. So yeah. why would you need to do it, right? So from the engine braking perspective, I totally get it. Um, if you're in a sports car or a performance car, oh, yeah. if you're like on a racetrack or if you're just bombing around some side roads, yeah. um, having that extra control yeah. is pretty important. Totally. Um, you know, you want to gear down before you enter a corner yeah. so you can like explode out of it yeah. extra fast. Um, and so... Towing? Towing's another great one. That's true. Um, right? And not all of them do it the same way. Like with, with Ram, now you can get the Ram 1500 with paddle shifters, not just the TRX, the, the GT pack comes with paddle shifters. Um, for years, the gearing has actually been little buttons on the steering wheel, which is weird. They almost like, you could easily confuse them with like volume buttons, right? They're just oh. arrows, but the cool, it's a plus and minus. But the cool thing is 
when when you're towing or or hauling a load in the bed it's really nice the same thing because you want to downshift get that engine braking to slow the vehicle when you're going down a hill or if you're let's say you're off-roading not even and i don't mean like serious off-roading like i did with the bronco and you guys all watched that review already uh, no but you know um not just hardcore stuff cottage road yeah right kind of loose you know this time of year you guys might be opening your cottages for the first time you know, all that snow is melting. The gravel roads are kind of washed out a bit. It's nice to have the, the RPM higher so that in case you start to bind up, you can get out of a jam as opposed to having to, you know, accelerate, like really stomp on the pedal and, and kind of get nothing in the low end. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I hope that helped you, uh, Chris from Toronto. Oh, yeah. Who sent that question in. Um, so if you have a question, please email us at expert at trader.ca. We're going to attempt to answer uh, like a couple of your questions in every episode. But like I said before, there's no dumb questions. Chances no. are if you have a question you've always been wanting to ask, a lot of other people have that same question. Yep. Um, and we're here to make car stuff simple. So literally anything is on the table. Um, yeah, and thank you for joining us on, yeah, on this guys. episode. Thank you to Ralph so much for joining oh, us today. Man, that that was, was so much fun. That was fun. a real highlight for me, like just one of those, you know, kind of career highlights of doing something that's cool, that I learn a lot, and I think, you know, you guys um, can really get a lot from someone like him. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that was that was a great Yeah, that was just so experience. cool. Um, so again, you can find our, you can find Own the Road with Auto Trader on YouTube, on any of your favorite podcast yeah. providers. Again, you can email your questions to expert at trader.ca. Uh, we usually come out with an episode every other week. And uh, that closes this episode. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, and please subscribe and all that happy stuff yeah. because we love to see it. And, you know, I, I do think we've got some good stuff coming. We've got more interviews. We've got more insights. Jody and I are going to be driving more electric vehicles as well as, you know, some non-electric ones because those are still a, a, very much a reality. So, you know, some great stuff coming up. And, uh, yeah, thanks Perfect. For, now thanks you for can have us. that high five. Yeah. Thank you, you everybody. Later. See you next time.